dangerous large uh, carnivore out there. Yeah, I saw that bird pick a young deer off the road and fly away. And uh, it was just about getting dark and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue of storing rocks in our vicinity, good sized rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a 357 out of my backpack and look back and that's when I thought I saw one. Happening all over the nation, all over the world, 
And uh, then I think the you know the rest of the world kind of caught up, and so I started focusing more on the local community, and that's when I started Hop Squad. So so uh, Bigfoot Lunch Club is uh, still out there. I once in a while I'll throw an update, uh, and it has tons of great archival stuff for the last you know decade of what's been happening in the Bigfoot world all across the nation and across the world. But uh, I think the last uh, I could say you know three or five years. I've been focusing on the local Bigfoot community here in the Pacific Northwest, and that's what Hopsquatch is about. It's a monthly Bigfoot and beer series, and I'm proud to say that we're almost at our five-year mark. And the goal for Hopsquatch was uh, to make sure that the, the community where I think Bigfoot uh, you know, lives the most or, or where, uh, I mean, obviously Bigfoot is all, all over the world. Uh, Sasquatch is all over. But I feel like you know, there's a special kind of kinship with uh, the Pacific Northwest which includes Northern California. And uh, you see people in Texas or Ohio that are really organized thanks to you know, some of the community leaders out there. I just wanted to make sure that we had a way that we could organize all the great research that was happening here all the way from you know, uh, Northern California to you know, the, the, the border between Canada with the Olympic project, which you're familiar with. And uh, what you guys are doing on the coast and near Tillamook and all that stuff. I, I think, uh, that was what I was trying to do with Hopsquatch is just try to, you know, uh, get these different communities uh, connected a little bit, uh, a little bit tighter. Yeah. And, and you, you do a great job with that. I, I was lucky enough to find uh, Hopsquatch. Oh gosh, geez. You've probably been doing it for a year when I first uh, arrived and went to my first Hopsquatch, but uh, it, it's, it's like finding a home, you know, one of the cool things is, uh, it, every month there's uh, a cool group of, of Bigfooters that that get together and, and you always put on a, an excellent program. Um, I know that, that uh, you've had, you know, Cliff Berkman several times, Tom Powell, uh, the list was on and on. I mean, they're, they're, uh, you've had Bob Gimlin more than once. So, um, it's it's always an exciting event, and it's always marked on my calendar. Um, I know that I've I've missed a few uh, over the summer, but uh, we uh, you changed it to Saturday nights, which made it a little bit more difficult for my schedule. But I did make it to the last hop squad, so I didn't. You did. And, uh, it, maybe, <laughs> it was great to see you sure. there on a Saturday night. Yeah, it's it's, right. it's tough because we were doing them we were doing them on Sundays, and then uh, for. It was actually the Bob Gibbon one that we did earlier uh, that we switched mm-hmm. it to Friday nights, and that worked out better for Bob. And then we got a huge response for doing it on Friday nights, and so um, so we kind of uh, we kind of booked that room almost a whole year in advance. So we decided to book them all for uh, either Friday or Saturday evenings, which uh, seemed to work out better for everybody except you. So sorry, you <laughs> <laughs> <He> left out. <laughs> But it, I mean, it's it's well worth if somebody if you're in the area and can uh, can make it to Hopsquatch, it's always it's always fun and it's in a great venue. Um, we I know that uh, it's been a little over a year ago actually. I think it was late August um, Hopsquatch last year that that uh, Shane and I and uh, you were actually able to take a Hopsquatch off and go to the beach. Uh, yeah. We had a town you guys hall. Did fantastic too. Yeah. And, and it was a lot of fun, but I, it also uh, brought it, you know, me 
made me appreciate what you do and what it takes to to uh, pull that off every month. You know, people I don't think people understand a lot that there's a lot of planning and and uh, and effort that goes into you don't just show up and make it happen. I mean, it's you make it look easy, but I mean, it, there's a lot of work that goes into <laughs> goes into uh, uh, putting on an, a, an event month after month for you know and year after year. So. I I uh, appreciate the hard work that you do to to make it happen. So, thank you. I'm I'm, I'm extremely proud of it, and uh, I've I've seen people meet at Hopsquatch or or build the relationships at Hopsquatch and and do things outside of it, which is really what I wanted to do. And so I think that the you know the Bigfoot community uh, I'm hoping uh, is even much stronger now that uh, you know uh, people who have not met each other before have been able to find each other at a hopsquatch event. And uh, I, I think it's, uh, um, you know, after being close to five years now, I'm extremely proud of it. And uh, um, it's a labor of love. It's, it, it's not easy. I do have a team that helps me out. You know, you know, Angie Duran, and then also I've got a sound guy and I've got a guy that's doing videos. Eventually we'll release all the videos. We just, uh, my video guy uh, wants to make them pretty. And I think we should just send them out raw. So, as soon as I'm done thumb well, I just I, I think we should just thumb wrestle, and then uh, whoever wins gets to win, and I'll I'll just cheat so I win. So there you go. Well, <laughs> I, I think it's cool I, because I, I think yeah. well, they're all videotaped, and so that's a, the best thing is is we have you know we have a video archive of every hopsquatch for the last three years at least. You know, um, including you know the Bob Gimlin one, which was extremely fantastic. There's uh, during that interview, I'd heard, I, that was the first time I heard a lot of those things about that night after, uh, after they had filmed the Bigfoot at Bluff Creek. Uh, there's a whole nother story to that, that I didn't even realize after knowing Bob personally for so many years. And so I just can't wait till we get some of these, uh, Hopsquatch videos out. Yeah. And uh, it, it's cool. Cause, um, even if you've heard somebody speak before, you have a, a really cool interview style that I think makes it really easy for people to to share stuff with you. And Bob, Bob uh, is is a great storyteller, but you really brought that out. And there were things that I um, had never heard before in uh, in Bob's story, particularly you know. And and then there's other there's always. I mean, one of my favorites was uh, the. The presentation that Cliff Berrickman did about uh, foot morphology and footprints and stuff, and I I learned a ton uh, and took notes and stuff. So um, again, great. I always always I've never been disappointed with a hopscotch except the ones that I've missed. So um, right. <laughs> <laughs> but it would be. I also think it would be cool, you know, to be able to attend uh, to catch a hopscotch. Uh, even if you weren't there, able to get there, um, so the idea of having, you know, the videos available, and plus there's people, you know, a lot of people, I'm sure, with the big in the Bigfoot community that can't uh, make it to Portland, you know, once a month, right. that, that would really get benefit from um, being able to act, have access to all the the past top squatches. So yeah, that's a cool idea. I hope it comes, you know. Um, I hope you win the arm wrestling match. Or, right, was it leg right. wrestling? <laughs> <laughs> I would win at that. Have you seen how long my legs are? I would win. <laughs> I, but knowing you, it could be jello wrestling. So I don't know. I mean, it's 
It's uh, <laughs> and then right into the mud, mud wrestling, Joe. I'm into all those things, you know, speedos. So, so, guy, you you're working on a uh, actually a a project that uh, um, last time I talked to you about it, you were you. I mean, you were of course life gets in the way of bigfooting and bigfoot projects, but you're you're working on a project that uh, you hope to have done have it done for uh, your upcoming presentation at uh, the Sasquatch Summit this year, which is coming up in November. Yeah, I've been, I've been working on it for a long time, for over four years, and I'm funding it myself. So, you know, it's, it's, that's uh, slow going, but also I've, you know, I've got my own business and I've uh, got lots of irons in the fire. Uh, so, um, uh, so I didn't announce it, even though I've been working on it for a long time, until last November at the Sasquatch Summit. I announced it for the first time publicly, even though uh, uh, I've been sharing the idea with my friends for a long time. Uh, but it's really a way to kind of, uh, uh, and then I, I was hoping to do a little preview at o- Ohio, but I think I'm going to be ready to do it at the Sasquatch Summit here in November. And it's basically, it's, it's uh, called MappingBigfoot.com, and it's a way to kind of take advantage of the technology that's been around. Uh, I mean, we have... Um, two great databases out there. You know, John Green's database is, is, is out there available for public. And then you also have the greatest database right now is the BFRO. Uh, and they have an awesome database with lots of stories and stuff like that. But the BFRO is, is uh, uh, the technology that they use is the same technology they used almost 20 years ago, 25 years ago. So uh, the, internet, the internet can do so much more than that now. And I wanted to make it easy for people to report their stories and then uh, take it to the next level of what all these other websites that are very popular when it comes to, um, to rating stories. So uh, kind of crowdsourcing uh, public opinion or Bigfooters' opinions about, about certain um, uh, Sasquatch experiences. So not only do you get to read and learn about something that happened in your neighborhood, but then you also get to rank it, right, and give it a rating. So similar to um, the rating system that you would see on the Internet Movie Database or Yelp for businesses or, you know. So the whole idea is that the crowd would be able to judge these stories and rank them on a couple of different uh, um, features, and the really good stories would float up to the top. And so um, there's a lot of power in, in uh, having uh, – letting the public uh, chime in and rate these stories and then having these stories have a life of their own. So it's a little bit like the original Facebook when Zuckerberg was back um, in college and it was like, compare this space, this person to this person and then vote. Right. Is it going to be like, yeah. <laughs> right. And it's going to, yeah. And it's, and, but it's also going to be really easy to report your stories. Um, we actually are going to populate it with a, uh, uh, Bigfoot uh, encounters that are, have already existed in the past, you know, 50 or 60 years. So we've got seven different databases that we have permission to, to populate into. So, uh, but we'll also uh, be able to incorporate new stories too. So, uh, which I think is very important. And, um, you know, the other issue is if you wanted to combine like John Green's database and the BFRO database into one thing, it'd be very hard because they both collected different data and they both named their different data pieces as separate things, right? And uh, right. so 
so you, it's hard to compare one story from one database to another story in another database because they both, um, you know, they they don't use the same language for, you know, um, for the different encounters. You know, like, uh, you know, roadways nearby or or uh, nearby water and uh, features and and the elevation maybe something else. And then I think uh, John Green's database goes into a little bit more detail about characteristics of the creature in the encounter, where um, uh, some of those uh, finer details are are not in the BFRO database. Which you know, and both both of the way both ways that they capture data make sense for what they're both trying to do. You know, John mm-hmm. Green is a journalist, so he so he wanted to capture all that minutia of data, and uh, if that some of those uh, uh, data pieces weren't available, you know, that was fine. We'd leave that field blank. Whereas most of the fields in uh, a BFRO database, basically, you know, who, uh, what was the name of the person who had the encounter, the date, the story, who investigated it, you know, all those fields are full, and then uh, unless uh-huh. it wasn't investigated. But so it, the, both databases make sense, but there's, but those are there's you know. There's tons of other databases out there that people have also um, um, created that also haven't been, you know, what we call in, in the, um, you know, data industry normalized to, ha- to, you know, comparing apples to apples instead of apples to oranges. So that's what I'm hoping to do. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to create, uh, I, I think it's the, it's the next step in doing research because there's two things that I want to do. I want to be able to be more predictive about Bigfooting, so we can kind of, you know, be a step ahead of Sasquatch, if that's even possible. And uh, the other thing is, is I want to be able to visualize that data. So you don't have to be a science geek or a numbers geek or a database geek, that you can actually look at a map and you can yourself, without, you know, a lot of work, see migrations or see patterns that wouldn't normally be there. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, and that's, I always talk about the, there being a, uh, we're looking for a needle in a haystack and the needle moves. So the more that we can do to, to shrink the, the size of the haystack, uh, and like you said, it's like that's a big um, uh, ambition of the Olympic project is to, to create predictability. So if you are able to search uh, data by, time of day and by by location and altitude and I mean uh, all these different factors and uh, it you can you can eventually find some camp hopefully find some commonalities in in the data and um, increase the I mean all, all we can do is increase the probability of of uh, either having an encounter or or catching you know whatever your goal is capturing video uh, or whatever. So, right, and I think you know when, and if you visualize this data, when I was in Ohio, I, I wanted to express this, and and uh, if you guys have never been to an Ohio Bigfoot conference, that is something that you have to do next year or the year after because the Mark DeWorth and his team puts on an excellent, excellent program there, and it's uh you know I wish that we had one you know here out in the Northwest because. The Ohio Conference was one of the best experiences I've, I've had in my years of Bigfooting. But while I was there presenting, 
I was able to, to visualize just in a word cloud uh, some of the um, – I took every word that was ever printed or, or ever typed in the BFRO database for Ohio in one county, and then the word that was used the most shows up a little bit larger than all the words so you get to see. And it was clear that almost every encounter had deer involved with it, which kind of confirms with a lot of people saying that, you know, Bigfoot follows a food source and the biggest food source that would be in Ohio would be deer. So if you wanted to, you know, uh, you know, so mapping Bigfoot would do the same thing where you get to see a visually a pattern that, okay, well, if I'm in Ohio and I want to find Bigfoot, all I have to do is chase deer and I would, I would have a better chance of having a Bigfoot encounter just by knowing that almost every other report in Ohio talks about deer. In that, yeah, then you can, and then each area could be yield a different result. I mean, right. So, so is that like, like, like a heat map? Like it shows the the most common, and it shows words basically. That shows the most common yeah. words. That I got gotcha. you. That's that's a, well, that a cool be, idea. Yeah, that would be one way. That would be one way to do it. That also, you know, I mean, once you have this data information to turn it into visual information so people uh-huh. don't have to even think about it so your eye automatically tells you and so you would you would also have you know um let's say you wanted to um you know you wanted to see anything in your county but you wanted to see which ones were visual encounters versus audio encounters versus uh, uh-huh. evidence encounters right one of those three categories you you can select three different colors for those three different categories and just go to the ones where they had a visual encounter or just go to the ones that have, they had an audio encounter. If you're one of those audio nerds like a David Ellis or, um, or I think you guys, uh, Larry is also doing some great Larry, audio oh, stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, if, so if you're, if you're one of those guys that want to know where you're going to get the best audio is even, you know, you, you can actually, you know, uh, select just the audio encounters at, in one click and find out which, where's the best spots in your area. And then let's say mm. maybe seasonally those change. So maybe, you know, in the winter, it's totally different than in the uh, summer or spring of where the audio happens. And you can see those kind of patterns as well. So it's, uh, uh, I've tested it out. It's, a, it's, it's, it's uh, the interface is a little clunky, but it's amazing what you can do with uh, what I have so far. So um, I've, I've been able to just, you know, you could basically, you know, lose a, a whole day just looking into this data once you visualize it. And that's cool. So you're you're hoping to, um, I mean, this this is a huge project, obviously, and you've been working on it for, you said like four years, and uh, yeah, yeah. So um, it's it's got to be a labor of love when you're when you're doing something that big, and you know, obviously, you're on your own dime and 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 your own time. Because um, I know I know you personally, and I know that you're a very busy guy, so. Um, that I I appreciate the the effort that goes into to uh, doing something like this. So, kudos to you, and uh, I hope I look forward to be having access to it as a Bigfoot researcher too. So this is um, really cool. So let's talk. What what's uh, where do you see the the future of of Bigfooting? You know what I mean? Are are we making progress in in uh, getting closer to um, confirmation of the species. Well, I think you know. I think a couple of things have have to happen. You know, um, I was uh, 
I was reading a, I was just reading a, a Bigfoot book today um, by Kenneth Wiley, and uh, he talks about uh, uh, he has a quote from Ivan Sanderson, and uh, and let me see if I can find it real quick. But the, the gist of it is, is Ivan Sanderson, who you know, um, has you know was one of the researchers way before us. You know, talks about how um, I mean, almost a whole century. Let's see here. So uh, one of the things that, you know, he, he says that, you know, we, he was saying that, you know, as far as evidence, you know, we might have tracks, we might have scat, we might have, you know, um, all these other things, but I, I'm still at the same place I was when I first started this journey. And so I feel like, you know, we're in some ways, you know, in 10 years that I've been into the community, I feel like we're kind of close to that same, same feeling sometimes but I, but I do think that there's lots of stuff that's, that's innovative. I think the audio stuff that's been happening, um, I'm extremely excited about what uh, David Ellis is doing and Larry Turner is doing with the audio. I think that stuff is amazing. Um, I've never been a person that, I, that you know, feels, feels like um, that I need confirmation from anybody or anybody outside. You know, um, I've also never been, you know, worried about telling anybody that I'm into Bigfoot. I think anybody that's uh, has done business with me or knows me, uh, knows that I'm, you know, really into Bigfoot. And so I just, but, uh, I don't, I, I think there's, I think there's, but as far as the future, I think, you know, there's, there's gotta be, there's gotta be a point where we kind of have to be more careful, more comfortable with, um, uh, more comfortable with this, with the skeptic voices out there. I still feel like, um, uh, that that there's still kind of a, a pushback against the skeptics who are, I think, really helpful uh, towards towards our pursuing Bigfoot research. But when they come out with a book or whatever, I think we kind of like you know you know call them the enemy, and I don't I don't think they are. I think I, I think a lot of these Bigfooters who are uh, or Bigfoot hopefuls that are skeptical are actually doing us a favor. So I've, I've always kind of felt that way. Um, you know, I feel like, uh, um, you know, uh, you know, some of the things like uh, abominable science, even though uh, that was a little bit harsh on Bigfooters, I think that's valuable. Um, this book by Kenneth Wiley is one of my favorite books. Um, Renee DeHinden wrote a book not too long ago that was, uh, that was uh, and Renee DeHinden, although he's one of the, you know, horsemen of, of Bigfooting, he was also, I think, you know, has some he- healthy skepticism too. So, um I think that that's, you know, I would like to see the next step of Bigfooting is some of us have a little bit more appreciation for, for these guys that are holding our feet to the fire. So, I mean, when you say that skeptics are helpful to the Bigfoot field, I mean, how, how so? Um, I think that uh, for me, they are telling us which direction we need to, we, we need to dig further into. Right. So, um, and, and I think that if, if we pay attention to some of the, so let me take an example. So um, one of the things that, uh, you know, Kenneth Wiley talks about in his Bigfoot, a personal inquiry into the, into a phenomenon is uh, one of his arguments is the, the diversity or how much of a difference um, uh, all the reports are as far as just size, you know, going anywhere from six, six feet to 15 feet tall. And so, mm-hmm. I I think if we took that to heart, maybe 
maybe if we realize we're looking for something that's closer to seven or eight feet, not much beyond that, I think it would help us do a little bit, you know, uh, better research or at least, or at least, you know, come up with these different models. So let's say there is, you know, um, you know, these different types of Bigfoots out there, we really need to define them better then, right? Because you also hear mm-hmm. people talking about how Bigfoot has kind of like a, a beer belly, like gorillas, like has a little, and then you hear Bigfoot's being uh, described as being, you know, with the six pack abs and like, you know, and people compare them to, you know, basically, you know, um, you know, NBA basketball players, you know? So I think that right. we need to kind of decide on if there are two different Bigfoots, but that much diversity um, I think, um, you know, is not as much, you know, there's a lot of diversity in humans, but that's because we control our environment better. But I think in animals, most animals either, you know, um, you know, from orangutans pretty much have the same morph- uh, morphology. And then, you know, uh, gorillas have its very similar morphology. Chimpanzees do. And so I think that, you know, that's just one example of where we could take someone who's who's kind of has a little skepticism and and dig a little bit deeper you know i mean let's 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 try and figure out you know should should we be looking for basketball players out there or should we be looking for gorillas with beer bellies you know so i mean how how do you deal with the the variation of reports when somebody reports something that you know i actually at one point um, was an investigator for the BFRO and uh, actually uh, um, investigator report with David Ellis actually um, up in Washington where the the encountering. I mean, we had a reference point. Uh, the story was was from like ten years previously, so I I always had a uh, a difficult time swallowing uh, because when you if we if the witnesses testimony or um, witnesses' testimony. Their their story was was accurate, and the stump that they referenced this their encounter by it made this. If let's just say it fell out of what I thought was was would be parameters for uh, a Bigfoot. And yeah. in fact, that that story was not included in in the the RFO public database based on the fact that it did not fit within a certain criteria. How do you? How do you? And this, the the, the witness seemed very earnest and, and credible in in talking to them, um, but I I just had I mean, for me personally it was just a difficult time uh, imagining that, that there was this tall, and I I can't remember it was either like thirteen or sixteen feet tall that uh, that based on the information that this this bigfoot would have been, and for me that didn't. It's that was hard to you know fathom that there's a that big of a Bigfoot running around and still staying hidden. And, um, right. Well, I think I think one so, thing that's really important is that whatever a witness says that they saw and how they saw it and how they describe it should should be mm-hmm. taken completely at, at the, exactly how the witness describes it, how they see it, mm-hmm. everything, even if it seems a little bit outside of your own bias. And so, but the key is, is no one, no one story is going to be enough to get us closer to what is you know, right. the intrinsic truth about Bigfoot. So let's say this, this guy, your, your witness may have thought it was 15 feet tall, 
But he also had the valuable information that they were three meters away from a water source, right, which may be valuable uh-huh. in another way. And so uh, one of the things that's great about, uh, about uh, getting um, crowdsourcing data and getting information, uh, you can actually, uh, and this is, this is true, they've done it a thousand times, so you can actually get seven different people uh, to guess what the Empire State Building's height is and the median will be very close, almost a couple of feet accurate to what the height is, just by having seven different people. And you don't need a huge sample of reports or people to get closer to what is the what is empirical, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so I would I would I think uh, one of the things that's really important that I would never want to do is try to shape a witness's story, because I think a witness, uh, you know. Uh, it, you, you, if you shape it, then you're going to miss something. You know, maybe there was a reason why it seemed 15 feet tall. Maybe it was a higher. I think actually I um, just lost Guy. I mean, I'll give him a second here to, or a minute to call back in or also just continue to do the show on my own. <laughs> but uh, I I agree. I mean, you if you go out and you've, and you've ever uh, done witness interviews, uh, you're going to have have uh, some data that may not fit your own, um, let's say, your own beliefs or your own uh, prejudices, basically. We all have some ideas about what uh, what uh, we think uh, Bigfoot is and what, what size, you know, they should be. And that's, I, I mean, like I said, I battled that in that particular um, uh, report because it's like, wow, that just does not seem um like that would be something that would be possible if it doesn't fit in my in my box. So um, if there is a uh, and I, and I was always very like um, pragmatic about it. And and when you're taking uh, doing reports with uh, eyewitnesses, you you do have to record what what the eyewitnesses' experiences was or or your you're painting the data. So um, it's, I, I agree with Guy that, that uh, um, you got to, um, I, and I don't think it's any more scientific to throw out, to edit data that uh, eyewitnesses share with, with researchers so, and investigators. Um, a little bit more about, I'll tell you a little bit about Guy while, while uh he he uh, given a chance to to dial back in here. Um, I know that that uh, he is. Uh, if you've met Guy, he is a very um, outgoing, uh, fun individual, and uh, so uh, it's always fun to me to, to to actually sit down with Guy and talk Bigfoot versus you know. So uh, he he has a very entertaining personality. <laughs> if if you've had the opportunity to meet him. Uh, and we've we have we've been to Beach Put together. Besides being at uh, at uh, Hopsquatch on numerous occasions, and uh, he actually uh, is the uh, the webmaster of uh, my Sasquatch Coffee website. So um, we have um, interactions all the time. But uh, hold on, just a sec. We're at a Nope, he's not not back yet. So um, I don't know if he uh, fell into a 
a portal or a, but there I, I I you know you're talking about a creature that that has there's going to be variants in their their uh, appearance um it, as far as height difference and and uh, size difference because witnesses are what is the witness seeing uh you know a juvenile adult a male a female um and um plus there's you got to factor in um there's an emotional element to to uh hold on it looks like we got guy back that there's an emotional emotional element to to witnessing something like this so mr edwards are you back Sorry, I don't know when you lost me. When did you lose me? Um, about fifteen minutes. No, I was. It, you've been gone a couple minutes, so. Okay. I'm sure you said some very well, profound things in that time. I know. It was amazing. <laughs> <actually>. <laughs> so we were talking about, you know, like when a witnesses um, report something that may be um, not fit your own bias uh, as a as a as an investigator or a, or a researcher, and that it's important still to include what the witness's experience was, not not filtering it. Right, and I, I think that's I think that's important. And I don't know if I got into talking about the hypnosis stuff yet, or did I talk about that? Did you guys? Yeah, please. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, that's one of the things that I've been trying to do with with. Uh, hypno-regression is trying to get as accurate a story as possible. And when someone is under hypnosis, we can actually get them to rewind and play, pause, zoom in, zoom out, and get these uh, incredibly um, detailed stories of these different encounters. So that's, uh, that's the other piece that I'm trying to do is, is just trying to think outside of the box and do something different and new in Bigfooting. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that. What, how did that come about, and and uh, how many have have you done? Um, are you hypn Are you the hypnotist? I mean, I know the answer right, to some right, of right. these, but that, no. Uh, so, so uh, my my uh, good friend Doug Meacham is a hypnotist, uh, extremely hypno- uh, successful hypnotist here in Portland, and. Uh, um, it took me uh, about a year to get enough guts to ask him if he ever thought about doing some regression hypnosis on Bigfooters. So I had to like I had to kind of you know you know I would see him at the coffee shop that you know we both we both work right next to each other, and I would uh, you know kind of you know ask him what he thinks about Bigfoot, you know, and then you know slowly kind of warm up to it, and then. Uh, eventually, I go. What you know? What do you about? What do you think about doing like the same things that they used to do to, to, uh, um, to alien witnesses, um, uh, and and use that same type of methodology for Bigfooters? And uh, he was game from the from the get go. And so uh, uh, our first witness was was a guy that uh, had two encounters, and. Uh, um, and then uh, Doug had done his research on how to make sure that you don't have leading questions. And each session is about three sessions. And, and uh, um, we've had about, a, um, I would say, about a half a dozen witnesses that we've done so far. And we wanted to make sure that we you know, really have it dialed in before we jump into uh, you know, letting anybody and everybody you know, uh, you know, call us and start sharing their stories. And, and we've, you know, there's been a... Uh, some prominent Bigfooters that uh, the community knows that, that 
we haven't um, uh, revealed their names yet uh, because uh, either they're not ready or we haven't got permission yet. And there's been uh, mm-hmm. witnesses that that um, uh, nobody in the community knows. They they came to a pop watch. They heard about Big mm-hmm. They and then they uh, um, and they've been holding on to this story and they never realized that there was a whole community or realized there was people doing research. They just had an encounter themselves and they happened to be in Portland. They heard about Hopsquatch and they, you know, have a 30 year old story that they can finally, you know, share. So, um, so we've had um, uh, all sorts of different witnesses from, from people who uh, have been in the community for a long time or people who are brand new to the community or didn't even know there was a community there. And, uh, there's always a point where they go from past tense to present tense and they'll, you know, they'll say, well, we were walking in the woods and I was walking down this trail. And then there's a point where it gets into present tense. like, he's right behind me. He's watching me. He's, he's staring. And then as soon as they get into the present tense, the hair on the back of your neck goes like, just goes crazy. That's the part that we get excited. I get excited about. We've done this enough times where I kind of start to anticipate that there's going to be a point in the story where they go into present tense and you feel like you're there. You feel like you're, you're, you're having an encounter with them. And uh, it's probably one of the most exciting parts of, of uh, any type of Bigfoot research I've done, because, you know, as you know, you, you, you know, especially as an investigator for BFRO, you hear people tell stories over and over again. You hear stories, you, you hear them from your friends, you hear them from other people in the community. And but there's a different vibe to it when someone is under hypnosis telling you this story in present tense as if it's happening right then and there. And so those are also, you know, that's also the, you know, the um, what I'm trying to do to contribute to doing something new in, in Bigfoot research that um, uh, that hasn't been done before. You know, uh, there was one TV show that did uh, hypno regression on on a witness. Um, and they just did it that one time. Uh, but I don't think there's anybody that's actually pursuing uh, um, ret- uh, hypno-regression on witnesses today. No, and that's you actually uh, had a gentleman that volunteered to to do this at one one of the hop squatches, and it was fascinating to watch. Um, the idea, and and there was that point um, in in the session uh, where where he's talking and uh and talking in the present tense. So um that um is a it it's just it's a, just another aspect of, of Bigfoot research research and um the the richness of the detail that comes out of somebody who's uh under hypnosis and and when it's of course that, uh done correctly and uh that it, it was it, uh, that was that was an unusual and and a uh, fascinating um, thing to see and, and one of the uh, more unusual hop squatches for sure. Yeah, well, I think you know when people think of being under hypnosis or being in trance or whatever, I think we kind of have this uh, you know uh, uh, cartoon version of of what that's about, and it's it's not exactly like that. And you would only you know it's a uh, um, uh, being under trance, you're pretty conscious of what's going on around you. It just really allows you to be more uh, relaxed and more focused. And so in all three of the sessions, usually after the first or second session, 
uh, uh, Doug will mention to them that the memory will become stronger and, 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 uh, and more details will come out. And so usually by the third session, you know, uh, we'll be able to get all the rich details that, that might've, might've happened during that encounter. And I think, um, that's, you know, and for mostly selfish reasons, I just want to know what Bigfoot noses looks like. I just always want to know if they have like a hood over their nose or if their nostrils are exposed. That's like one of the, like the biggest, like I'll be happy if I ever have my own encounter and I will actually, you know, I'll, you know, and if I die because I got too close to the nose, you know, it will be totally worth it. (laughs) Well, is that, um, because you are a very talented artist. So does that something about your, uh, your eye for art, is that uh, part of your I think, upset, I think, nose obsession? I know you have a yeah, thing for hair. Right. The, the scent of hair is a big deal to me. You know, the, 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 yeah, because, I mean, you know, as, as an illustrator, you know, I've drawn Bigfoot probably hundreds of times, and it's like, and so as you're drawing, you 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 have to make a decision, right? You're like, well, do I put a hood over this nose? Do I expose? Do I have these nostrils exposed like a gorilla would be, or like most you know uh, apes would have an exposed nose? Or is it more you know um, as it you know does it have more you know human-like features? You know, and so uh, I mean that's a debate that all Bigfooters have. You know, um, that's you know is Bigfoot closer to being a creature or closer to having human-like features, you know, uh, is it more ape or human? And uh, even though I would argue that, you know, even humans are apes, I, I'm, I'm speaking just, just physically, um, how, how does Bigfoot look, you know, as far as, you know, and uh, that's one of the things that, you know, when you talk to different witnesses, they all have different versions of what the nose looks like. Um, I think, uh, you know, uh, I even read that there was an encounter where the Bigfoot that they saw was almost like a proboscis monkey where the nose actually stuck out quite a bit, like a, you know, like a Muppet honker type of thing. So uh, that, I would like to be able to kind of normalize, you know, a lot of these um, um, encounters a little bit, you know, and, and, and try to find out which ones are more the anomalies and what, which ones are more common. And I don't think that we have an easy way to do that yet, you know, and it, so in um, mappingbigfoot.com, is that, I mean, is, are you going to be able to dig down into that kind of detail of reports? I, well, I, as far as the physicality, I think there's some, there's some things that we, we can definitely do as far as some of the features, you know, like the height and stuff like that. But, you know, the other part of it is, is we don't, you know, not a lot of witnesses get a good, you know, look at the face. And I think that's when the, uh, hypno-regression comes in a little bit more where you actually can um, have the witness rewind the tape, pause it, and zoom in and zoom out of what they saw, you know? And so, um, and that's and that's the other thing is, is all these uh, 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 hypnosis sessions will also be available on Mapping Bigfoot as, as, a, as a clear tag or, or a directory or filter if you want to just uh, dive into all the stories that are, uh, are based on the hypnosis that we've done. But uh, Doug and I want a lot more witnesses before we um, publish all of them, you know, and, uh, and uh, so, you know, if, if anybody is around uh, Portland or the Pacific Northwest or wants to uh, fly in their own dime to, to Portland, 
and they have a really great Bigfoot encounter, you know, I'll, I'll buy you coffee and a beer, you know. And can they stay at your house then if they fly? <laughs> Absolutely. I'll <laughs> the tent in the backyard. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but so this sounds like a pretty involved process. I mean, it's not like, you know, because you're talking about multiple sessions um, of hypno-regression. And, I mean, how many times, what is, is there a standard for how many times you um, you you hypnotize so, somebody to get their this process? So, so almost all of them have been three sessions long, three different days. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, the first session is just to get them really um, acclimated to going deeper and deeper. And so in a, in a sense, it's kind of uh, 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 helping the witness understand how to get um, uh, into the deep trance. Right. And so, mm-hmm. um, and so it's really the, the second one and the third one where I get out my drawing pad, where we really get into the encounters and, um, um, and the, you know, the other thing that's amazing about these encounters is they're very emotional and uh, mm-hmm. um, which is something that um, I think when most people are telling their stories, uh, they can be, and they're completely conscious, um, they can be a little bit more guarded about uh, uh, how they feel or how, they're, how, they, um, how it's affecting them. But when you're under trance, it's a little bit more raw. And I've uh, seen people get very emotional and, uh, and it's, uh, uh, it's something that you can almost feel in the air. I mean, you can see it, you know, we, you know, we've had witnesses, uh, um, uh, you know, have, you know, cry and, and tear up um, because it's something that they are not expecting to feel again, or um, we've had witnesses thinking that they'd never see this again. And this is all they wanted was to go back to that same place to, um, to, to remember or recognize the same feeling, you know, because for them, as the memory gets older and older, it gets fuzzier and it goes away. And so uh, I know if I, if, if, if I had an encounter with Bigfoot, I would want to hold on to that memory so badly. And then, and then if I went for several years and never having an encounter again, I would feel like I'm, you know, missing something. And, uh, so, uh, so not only are these, uh, are these, you know, uh, uh, hypnosis, these witnesses under hypnosis, uh, gets a little bit more accurate and stuff like that, but also they're extremely emotional and they're very raw. And, uh, and, uh, um, you know, so I think, you know, that's part of what Doug does so well is creates this environment, uh, to, to just be and, and kind of explore the encounter, the details and the feelings, which I think is just as important, uh, for the witnesses to feel comfortable. And I don't think that's easy to do. You know, I think uh, uh, Doug does a great job of of kind of setting the ground line, uh, the the landscape for this to happen. Uh, he's done, tr- you know, before he even did his first uh, uh, um, witness, he did tons and tons and tons of research of of how they would do it for uh, the abduction witnesses, and then how to translate that because it's still different for uh, for a big witness. And so 
I hope to do a lot more of those, and I like to, you know, I definitely want to incorporate those into uh, mapping Bigfoot as well. Question from the chat room. Uh, Bruce Kelly is asking, are you going to be uh, utilizing Squatchometrics database set? We would love to. So we, so we would love to, to uh, incorporate. We want to make it easy for anybody to, to incorporate their uh, database into the Mapping Bigfoot database. I, I want to share this. I want this to, you know. Um, so let's say I, I, I know that the, um, and, uh, and thanks for the question, Bruce. I'm a big fan of Bruce, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. Huge fan. Uh, uh, so, like, let, let's say, like, you know, the Tillamook Project or, or the Olympic Project, you know, if, if, if they're doing some local research on the peninsula or you guys are doing something, you know, out there towards the coast, we want all of your um, reports and information, you know, in there as well. Everything would be tagged with, you know, so, so if someone could go to Mapping Bigfoot slash Tillamook Project and, and if they wanted to, they wouldn't have to worry about filtering through all the other stuff. Boom, they would have the stuff that you guys are providing or Olympic Project or uh, what you know, um, uh, other people are working on. I want this to be something that um, where, where everybody feels like they own it. I, want, I don't want this to be you know, a Bigfoot Lunch Club or a Guy Edwards thing. I want this to be something that belongs to the community where everybody feels like they have ownership over it and everybody helps shape uh, you know, version 2.0, 3.0, and uh, and I really think it's going to make um, it's 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 going to help us take us to that to that next step, taking advantage of the technology that's already out there. You know, um, um, and I mean, the reason why I you know am working on this project or thought of this project was you know in my day job I you know when I used to work for an apparel company I had to predict how many pants would sell in Georgia, how many jackets would sell in New York. And, and this is all based on just raw data of what people will bought, when they bought, what season, all that stuff. So, so this stuff is really something that, I, that, I, um, that I'm really good at. And then I had to visualize this data for the, for the uh, people who would make decisions in the company. And so um, there's no reason why I can't do this for Bigfooting, you know, um, so I want everybody to feel like they own this, and I want this to benefit everybody in, in the Bigfoot community. So another question from the chat room is, how, rel- how reliable is hypnosis? And uh, I thought they had trouble with people subconsciously creating memories. And so that's, that's part of the pro- protocol that uh, Doug came up with where – um, so uh, basically, there's ways that, and Doug would be able to answer this better than me. But I do know that uh-huh. that Doug, in his process, sometimes he will ask questions in the uh, in the timeline backwards, or he'll ask a question in a different way, and none of the questions are leading. So that is a that that is a uh, a huge risk in people creating memories that aren't there, and so. When when Doug asks these questions, and even when he comes back in the next session, he will ask these questions in a backwards manner, forwards manner, um, ask about details in an in an uh, 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 in an open-ended way. And so there are, you know, um, there hopefully will we'll filter out most of the most of the um, uh, memories that are that are created by themselves. And so um, any point or any information that is shared during uh, these sessions is 
asked about multiple times in different ways in different contexts. So um, that's that's basically you know one of the uh, initial concerns that we had as well, and it's a great question because we wanted to make sure that there was a way for us to kind of um, uh, prevent that as much as possible. Gotcha. No, I mean uh, that's. Um... Uh, there's a lot of mystique around hypnosis and, and uh, like you, I think you referred to uh, most people learn about hypnosis, uh, like through a uh, cartoony kind of experience. Um, they, you know, we, we don't understand. And I actually um, attended one of Doug's, uh, he does uh, occasionally does shows where he, yes. you know, does the thing, involves the audience and hypnotizes the audience. And my station, you know, was that you would not remember what you were doing. And, and, uh, and, and that's not the case at all. You actually, um, are conscious. It's not like you're asleep. And I think that's what most people, uh, how they relate, um, being hypnotized is that you're out of control, completely out of control. And you're, you're, it's more like being asleep and that's not really wasn't, not my experience at all. So, and I did yeah, end up doing things that 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 I was not consciously doing. So, it was not my conscious choice. Right, and that was, and that's why it took me. You know, that's when I started to get the idea. As I went to one of his shows, and I was I went under trance myself, and uh, and I realized that this is not what I thought hypnosis was, and. And I also thought that I might not be able to be hypnotized because I was, you know, so aware of, you know, that this is kind of, uh, I don't know, I, I didn't think I'd be able to be hypnotized. And I went under trance and I, and, you know, he suggested things for me to do. And I did them even though I wasn't like unconscious or asleep or anything like that. And so I knew that there was something more to hypnosis just from my own personal experience that is not what the stereotypical, you know, unless you've been under trance or you've seen the seen trance happen, it's there's no way to, to, to know what it's really like. And so that happened and then fast forward one year later, I was basically giving up the courage to ask him, you know, hey, maybe we can do this and and uh, and really I, I should also say that, you know, my inspiration for this was uh Tom Powell, uh uh one of the greatest, you know, authors of Bigfootum um, you know, he wrote Shady Neighbors and uh, recently The Edges of Science. And he said that those UFO people are 10 years ahead of us always. And so that, that's, that's when I realized that, you know, you know and, and what he meant by that was, you know, as far as them having a stronger community, of them getting out there on, uh, in, in the media, and then also, you know, uh, the techniques that they, they would do as far as, you know, their their research and so I realized that you know that was something that was pretty popular in the uh, in the um, you know uh, in the UFOlogy world is that they would do you know uh, hypnoregression on witnesses so I thought I thought I'd give it a try since uh, I feel like everybody else is already doing such a great job of doing the field research and and doing the audio analysis. And uh, the debunking or collecting data, and so I just wanted to make sure that uh, you know um, that I that I made a contribution or trying to make a contribution that that uh, in a place that we haven't explored yet in the community. 
and it it's it's a fascinating idea because you um it says does do you go along with Tom Powell's alien Bigfoot connection? Yeah, I'm not so I'm not a uh um a big believer in the whole alien thing. I used to be. Um I, I mean I was all about Groom Lake, I was all about um Area fifty one, you know, um uh going all the way back to, you know, um, you know, I was a huge fan of the X Files in the nineties and and stuff like that. But uh uh I just feel like um whatever is going on with spaceships and aliens and stuff like that, I don't think they're traveling here. So because um, I just think it would take so much to travel here. So, um, and my hands are full with just big foot. You know, like I mean, I think the Mothman is cool. I think, I think, uh, I, I think some of these other uh, cryptids are are cool. But I just feel like my hands are so full with uh, with my life and Bigfooting that I haven't gone and explored. So, um, I I still would like to think uh, that Bigfoot is a biological creature. Um, that's one of the reasons why I, you know, uh, you know, even as a second grader, we had a book about Bigfoot, and uh, and even though the, um, you know, Bigfoot was next to vampires and leprechauns and fairies, I knew back then that the difference between Bigfoot and these other creatures is Bigfoot didn't require magic. Bigfoot could be this mysterious, you know. A magical seeming creature without magic being involved, you know, uh, this creature that was beyond imagination, but uh, was not a fairy or a leprechaun or anything like that. So, um, so I have a clear bias too uh, that I that I'm aware of of why I don't like to go to some of these fringe uh, explanations of Bigfoot. I think uh, for me personally, Bigfoot is is cool because he's a, he's this. Uh, a uh, mysterious creature that is uh, that is not necessarily magical. You know, he has all the qualities of all these fantasy creatures, but he felt more real to me. Well, one of the the difference differences between you know Bigfoot and a leprechaun is there. There's Bigfoot leaves behind physical evidence. So I I don't remember the last right. time that anybody reported a leprechaun you know, casting a leprechaun footprint. No, well, you've probably never gone to the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, though. So. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so, but I'm afraid if I did, I'd, I'd run into an angry, angry leprechaun. That's the thing. Right. <laughs> 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 so, so what's, what's going on with the Hopsquatch? What have you got scheduled for upcoming Hopsquatch uh the Hopsquatch speaker series. What's well? The funny thing is, you know, talking about UFOs, uh, the, the Seattle UFO Network has this uh, great lady that I met in uh, at the at uh, um, a UFO conference um, uh, earlier this year, and so I would like to, and uh, you'd, be, you'd be amazed. So even though I'm not a big fan of 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 uh, the whole UFO uh, Bigfoot connection, uh, as far as pursuing it, I think it's a, it's definitely interesting, and I think there's there's um, um, there's interest there. So I'm hoping to have her name is Una, and I'm hoping to have her come in uh, in September. Uh, Tom Powell is definitely going to be there in October, and then we will probably uh, do one in November, and then we don't do one in December. So. 
So I'm hoping to get a, uh, so I'm just going to end the year in UFOs and paranormal. And, uh, um, and I think that, uh, so even though, uh, and that's, and I think that's, a um, um, hopefully that that's, you know, to let, you know, cause I, I think that we should all work. Everybody's make a con- contribution to Bigfooting. I think, uh, and uh, anybody who's slightly interested in it, you know, is making a contribution just in their interests alone. So, um, I have always wanted to be um, uh, incorporate everybody into the community because I think we should all welcome each other. So, even uh, um, even if I don't subscribe to everything that Tom Powell says, he's a, a tremendous friend of mine. I have tremendous respect and. And the things that he's exposing and and the people he talks to um, are definitely making huge contributions to um, the bleeding edge of Bigfooting. And uh, and I I really believe that, that, uh, um, you know, that, uh, and I'm open to the possibility that maybe, you know, Tom Powell is ahead of the curve and, uh, and, and I may not be, but, uh, but I still want to, you know, pursue, uh, I think everybody should continue to pursue Bigfoot the way they think, uh, uh, makes most sense to them. And then as long as they're willing to come to the campfire and share their ideas with me, I'm going to be open ears every time. Well, that's, that's one of the, for me, one of the cool things about Hopsquatch is it is, it's, it's one of the few venues that I've ever been to where there's a elect, eclectic group of Bigfooters who have different views that may not agree a hundred percent on, on uh or they may have di- <laughs> they may have opposing completely opposing views, and uh, it doesn't um, degrade into a, a name calling uh, um, shouting match. So uh, yeah, the hot uh, watch audience has been one of the greatest audiences because we've had the whole spectrum of bigfooters there, and the audience is always engaged, always polite, always listening. And uh, and so I appreciate hearing that from you, Gunnar, because that's one of the things that we we definitely are trying to do. Yeah, and it and you've accomplished it in space because I've I've had conversation with people that that have um, a different view of what uh, what we're dealing with than than I do, and that's but the thing is is I I I could be wrong. I mean I. I I readily admit that, but my my thing is a Bigfoot, you know, is a portal jumping, shape shifting, uh, UFO piloting entity. Then it's kind of game over. I mean, uh, uh, the likelihood we're ever going to confirm the species if that's what uh, an investigator's right. goal is, is is pretty slim. And I I I I say there's a low probability that I will chase a Bigfoot into a portal. I might push a friend because... of mine into a portal. Right, right. Well, wouldn't you tie a rope to him first, at least, so you can pull him back in? Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. That that has. That, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna make a note about that. Yeah. Yes, everybody, <laughs> bring a rope, please. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you're with Gunner, because you, you might not. What's that? Especially if they uh, go bigfooting with you, bring your own rope. That's right. Bring it's B Y O R. <laughs> So, um, and and as far as your future um, plans with Hopsquatch, going to keep going past five years? Uh, well, gosh, well that's a good question. So I might, um, I, I'm trying to decide. So uh, it's um, 
It's a lot of work. I may pivot to doing something, uh, even though in the Northwest here we've been lucky to have lots of these uh, conferences. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then also you know and you know I would say the best ones that are that are happening out here are definitely the one that uh, Johnny is doing the Sasquatch Summit out, out in Ocean Shores. Those are mm-hmm. terrific. I would like to maybe try and do something to the level of what they're doing in Ohio out here in the Pacific mm-hmm. Northwest. Um, and it's it's so hard to explain how uh, Mark DeWorth and his team, his minions, have this so dialed in. To this is a conference for newbies and and uh, and um, uh, uh, people who have been in the community for a long time. It's just this perfect balance of of having this accessibility to 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 lots of people, but also you know you you hear from you know or you know people who have been doing it for longer than me. You know some of the um, some of the things that are missing from some of these more recent uh, Bigfoot. Uh, uh, um, uh, conferences, you know, I, I hear from Yam, Tom Yamarone, Tom Powell, and Cliff. You know, some of the things that that are, are um, that Ohio has dialed in that we haven't dialed in here in the Pacific Northwest. So, so maybe I'll you know build up Hopsquatch into something that's more of an annual event. I don't know. I uh, I, I would hate to see Hopsquatch go completely. I'm definitely going to do. Uh, uh, at least go for another year next year, and uh, it'll be a while before I can do a, a, a big giant annual one. But um, but one of the things I want to definitely do that that hasn't been done in a lot of them is uh, is bring some of these higher profile uh, skeptics to a conference one time. You know, and I don't and I don't mean like uh, skeptics. I mean people who are still bigfoot hopefuls, but uh, like Brian Dunning or. Um, or um, you know, some uh, Sharon Hill would be great. Uh, so some of these uh, some of these other people that uh, um, uh, are interested in Bigfoot, interested in pursuing the truth of Bigfoot, but um, are a little bit more removed. I think that it'd be great for us to have one of them as a guest at a Bigfoot conference. Well, and I think that I agree with you that that uh, I I like that you differentiate between a skeptic, someone who's skeptical, skeptical. Of um, of the evidence and a scoffic, which is someone who just has never even really looked into and just out of hand dismisses the the subject. Um, and that's that's right, like think, a good yeah. That that's kind of I mean a brave new world to to bring skeptics into a Bigfoot conference. Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, I think I, I you know I I think it's it would. Be healthy. I still think it's healthy. You know, when uh, when abominable science came out, even though I didn't agree with some of the premises, I still like that that um, that here's someone who has done a lot of research, and they're telling us where we think some of our um, uh, where our strengths and weaknesses are. You know, mm-hmm. and so I think that's healthy. I, I think that I got, you know, for me, it, it's uh, it's a challenge. Then, right? If if they say, well, you know. Uh, maybe these um, maybe these newspaper clippings that you guys have, you know talking about are not as strong as you think they are. You know, then that's a challenge. I, I feel like well, let's let's find out why they're not, you know, as good as they are, or or maybe uh, we could accept that and say, well, you know, 
those newspaper clippings are not the you know not the whole story about Bigfoot research. You know, we're getting new new stories every day, all the time, that are that are credible. So, so I would love to have you know one of one of these. Uh, um, and, and I have a lot of respect for 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 real skeptics because it takes a lot of discipline to to go out there and basically stick your neck out and say, you know. I don't think this is has enough information, or I don't think this is completely telling the whole story. Whereas scoffdicks, I don't, I think are pretty lazy, you know, and I don't think there's any discipline in them just saying, well, I don't, I don't agree with that because I don't, you know, I don't think there's enough information, you know. So, right. um, so I have a lot of respect for some of those bigfoot hopefuls that are, that are that are still uh, holding our feet to the fire because I think really they're doing us a favor. And I, I I agree with you because it, um, there's a lot and it occurs a lot on Facebook of people presenting, and I'll in quotation marks evidence and and not wanting to be questioned about it. And uh, right. I I I think that our I mean we as if we're going to call ourselves researchers or citizen scientists we we it is our obligation to to uh, have that. Imp- what what we consider evidence vetted and be open to that, um, to have an emotional attachment to the outcome of of uh, your evidence being vetted is is uh, not scientific at all. So, all right. Um, what is what is the significant thing that the most significant thing that has happened to you in terms of Bigfoot in the field, and who impresses you as a researcher? Um. I have not had a lot of, uh, um, uh, encounters or anything out in the field, but you know, I, I take a pretty laid back approach to it compared to, I think most, you know, uh, you know, the, the coming into the, you know, for, for my first two years, when I started Bigfoot lunch club, I was basically what, uh, most of us would call maybe an armchair researcher, right. Where I didn't do much in the field at all. And then I met Cliff Berkman, and this was uh, before he was on Finding Bigfoot, and uh, and he took me out into the, into the woods, and and I was able to you know uh, do research with him, and and then I also went out with Tom Powell, and they both have this very kind of a uh, fishing approach to Bigfooting, where you go out there, you you kind of you know uh, you know uh, you do some wood knocks, you do some calls, you know, and, and if something happens, something happens. If if not. You know, if not, but they're not real aggressive as far as you know, um, uh, cataloging or or or, or uh, always documenting. You know, every time that they go out, and so um, so I. Uh, but I will tell you the the most wildest times I have had out there in the woods is with Tom Powell, because uh, you know he he'll bring out a guest, and uh, it could be like you know someone who is uh, sensitive, someone who could talk to you. Um, uh, spirits, um, and so um, I think you know one of the wildest times is it was uh, you know one time you know Tom Powell went out with uh, Cliff Berrickman and they just played Anya music at full blast all night long you know so some of these stranger ideas and stranger techniques you know um, um, are, have been done with Tom Powell and uh, so I, I think that's that's. Uh, um, that's one of the things that I would have to say is is, is, is the most entertaining, the most fun I've had is uh, is going out there with Tom Powell and trying something completely different. And who who impresses you as a researcher? 
Um, I think um, uh, I, I have to say, you know, um, I'm, I'm kind of biased because, you know, he's the one that kind of brought me into this world. But I think Cliff Berrickman, not because, uh, because he's uh, such a great spokesman, and, but he's like an encyclopedia for Bigfooting. And so um, he probably has one of the biggest Bigfoot libraries, and he's read all of his books a thousand times. You know, and so um, I think that's something that is uh, important. I, I think, uh, you know, someone like, uh, you know, other the ones who impress me the most are the ones who have giant libraries and have read all the books. Like Stroyford, uh, Stephen Stroyford, I think, is, is amazing. Uh, Mark DeWerth has a great library. Um, uh, uh, Prescott, I'm losing his name right now, but he's, he's out in uh, uh, Canada. Yeah, yeah. He also <laughs> has an amazing library. Um, so, uh, those guys impressed me the most. And then also the old schoolers. So, uh, you know, one of the benefits of, of being here in the Northwest is, is some of these, uh, you know, I would say that you and I are probably fourth or fifth generation Bigfooters, right? So right. I, if you include like Ivan Sanderson, they may be the first generation. Well, well, um, and then the four horsemen might be second generation. Well, there's a whole generation in between, you know, you and, you and me and those four horsemen um, that that basically you know were underneath their wing that, that did tons of research and those guys meet for breakfast like once a month and I get to have breakfast with these guys and uh, the Bigfoot stories they tell I mean these guys kept really solid journals and uh, so and they don't they they're not online and so these guys are still the guys that I, I look up to and respect the most. And uh, you know, being able to have breakfast with these guys, these guys are like Joe Bielart would be would be one of them, you know. Um, and I just think that these this other generation had this different approach, um, and I you know I would say a more disciplined approach to to big footing uh, than a majority of us today. And I include myself as as not being as disciplined as 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 these guys. Larry Lund is another one of those guys. So. Mm-hmm. Larry Lund, Joe Bielart, this generation of Bigfooters um, uh, have a whole different perspective on doing field research, and they really put in the hours. And they, you know, and uh, a lot of the things that we do today that we take for granted um, were developed by these guys, and we don't even know it because you know we've, we've been taught by you know by someone else on you know what are, what are the best practices for doing Bigfoot research. So. Um, so I hope that answers your question. I, I, I would say that Larry Lund, Joe Bielart, and then also, you know, um, the, when you talk about the more modern people, I, I would say Cliff, Mark, uh, Todd Prescott, even uh, um, uh, even um, um, uh, uh, Stroyford, um, because I think that uh, even though these guys are modern guys, they – have all the books they've read all the books and i think that's so important to have a context of what bigfooting has been about you know i, I you know i have a, a very very small library of books that i that i go back to and read all the time but i think it's important to go back to these books that were written in the 60s and the 70s and even in the 80s of of other bigfoot researchers and what they did and, and how they approached bigfooting yeah, and and sadly, '80s is now you know classic. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's really sad to to hear the music of your youth uh, be f- referred to as classic music. So uh, right. 
So do you think like we're getting closer to an answer about confirmation? I mean, this this is a real animal, or um, what are some of your and what are some of your favorite locations um, to research when you go out? Yeah, well, um, I don't know if we're getting closer. Um, I, um, I mean, I, I would I would suspect with all the technology that we have now that we that we would be getting closer. So when you contrast how much better or easier that we could actually get audio and analyze audio and then we have all the cameras and all that stuff, you know, I think that we should be closer. So, um, so compared to that, I don't think so. But as far as uh, coming up with a better model of what Bigfoot is, you know, especially with the, with what uh, um, Dr. Jeff Milgram has done as far as, you know, pushing us forward to the, morphology and the anatomy of Bigfoot, I think we're closer to having a better model of what Bigfoot could be or should be or might be. Um, but I am a, a big fan of, of uh, uh, the um, Olympic Peninsula as far as uh, where I think Bigfoot is or where Bigfoot is going to be. You know, one thing that's undeniable is all the major fauna, all the major animals are actually migrating north. You know, no matter if you believe how climate change is happening, climate change is happening. And so as, uh, as the temperature rises, all the major fauna are actually migrating north. So this is kind of something that uh, has been uh, published in many papers. And so whereas I used to think that, you know, um, Mount Hood was the best spot in the world, I think really if you're going to be ahead of the game or be where Bigfoot is going to migrate towards, I think you want to be uh, right there uh, at the uh, U.S.-Canada border where uh, uh, Derek is doing great uh, and has a great team doing research at the Olympic Peninsula. And, and it's undeniable. Once you're there, the, the, the diversity of plant life, the diversity of animals, and, and, uh, and the diversity of, like, these micro-environments, you know, you could be in a marsh, in, a, in, a, in an open field, in a, in a thick um, rainforest, all just in like within five feet of each other. So, um, so if I was to pick a place that I would want to live in the forest, that's where I would go if I was a Bigfoot. <laughs> so, uh, do you, what do you think? Some people feel like Bigfoot, you know, is is endangered species, is that the numbers are low, and that that time is up. The essence. Uh, do you think that that's you know what, what's your feelings on on uh, whether or not Bigfoot is an endangered species? I, I do think so. I mean, that's what, I mean, that's also a concern of mine is maybe there's, you know, uh, already, you know, an extinction happening or um, I, you know, there's, there's lots of people that I, and I understand that they say, you know, Bigfoot is fine. Bigfoot can take care of itself. Um, but I, I think that, um, that, uh, that even though Bigfoot is elusive, I think that the amount of, of evidence that we have for all the other animals, we see so much evidence for other animals uh, because they are there are so many of them. You know whether it's you know bears or squirrels or, or certain types of birds. You know that we see these evidence of these animals because there's an abundance of them. You know, relatively, and I think that uh, it's not just because Bigfoot is elusive. I think it's you know there's there's a, a very low population, and I think um, you know. And my gut feeling is there's just barely enough 
to even be a breeding population anymore. I don't know. You know, I, I just, I just feel like um, that if you base it on other animals, we should have a little bit more, um, you know, uh, we should be seeing Bigfoot, especially with our technology now. I'm not one of those people that, that um, I just, I just feel like Bigfoot is a rare, unique uh, uh, species that, um, that if we don't, find him soon it may be too late to ever find him and so he truly would be though species. yeah does that does that mean he wins the great hide and seek game right he is, he is the winner so so you know i mean but in theory all you have to do is you know go out there and say ollie ollie oxen free and he just pop out so i don't know if anybody's tried <laughs> that yet I, I don't know that might be worth uh looking into but, so, uh, do you think you know they talk about there's there's a whole series of books about uh, missing 411, and and it's it's never you know said that it's Bigfoot that actually um, is responsible for these gone missings, but uh, do you think that Bigfoot is is capable of of harming or taking people? Do you think that happens? Oh uh, well, I mean we you know that. If we're going with a lot of the oral traditions, then I think that's you know that's the case. You don't hear about those as much anymore in um, in somebody getting kidnapped by Bigfoot. But that that idea, that story, used to be a lot more prevalent. But uh, it's uh, you don't hear it anymore. But I mean, I, if if we're to take you know even the uh, you know um, um, uh, indigenous legends and stuff like that and the stories, you know, I, I think that's definitely the case. I don't I don't know if uh, if uh, the missing 411, you know, uh, books are actually capturing, you know, you know, uh, those Bigfoot kidnappings. And I'm not sure if, you know, um, if kidnappings are happening anymore, I think, um, and this is just a hunch, but I would, I would think that, you know, there's some degree of, uh, of Bigfoot being acclimated to humans more so than they used to be. So, I think after a generation or so, I don't think they would, would be so curious to uh, kidnap us anymore, or I think they would be aware enough of to stay away. You know, I, I, I do think that, you know, you, you know, if, when you hear people talking about, you know, uh, going into the woods, I think there's a strong possibility that Bigfoot already knows you're out in there. So it's, it's like, as soon as you step foot in their home, they know that you're in their home. So, um, I don't know if people are actually being kidnapped by Bigfoot because uh, we're not hearing any of those stories of people escaping from Bigfoot. So I, I guess that's the other thing is Bigfoot is better keeping a hold, keeping a hold of those people now. <laughs> Whereas, you know, back then, you know, you only needed like a can of snuff to, you know, fool Bigfoot into like letting you go. Guy, are you back? Yes. Are you there? Okay. I lost you. Again, oh, sorry. I I was afraid that perhaps all this talk about about uh, kidnapping of big by Bigfoot <laughs> well, may have actually like caused that, yeah. to, to materialize. So, a live episode of Missing Four One One. So, I mean, the what do you think we need to do now as as uh, amateur uh, researchers? To, to further the subject? 
I think one of the important things is people work in their local area, you know, and, and then, you know, I think that, you know, that's the most important part is to, you know, I would love for us to have a Jane Goodall approach to, to mm-hmm. an area where, where, you know, someone actually spends the time and works one area over and over again and stays out there. I think that's a, you know, um, you know, it takes, definitely takes a lot of money, time, commitment, all that stuff. But I would, I would like to, you know, to see more of that, you know, and I think there's, there's definitely some people that are, um, that are, you know, weekend warriors and, and trying to hit a place every weekend. But I, but I would love if we could actually pick a place and just stay out there for a while. And I think that's, a, that would be another thing that we really need to do. Premise. I mean, it was kind of the premise of uh, the Falcon project was to go out into a particular area with, armed with a lot of, you know, of uh, technology and, and, uh, and um, basically stay in an area for, what was it? They were going to stay out for six months initially. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I uh, um, thought that that, that I, the idea of that project had a lot of merit, the execution of, of course, was not what what we had hoped for. But um, what? Why do you think the science as a whole is not taking more interest in the subject of Bigfoot? Uh, well, I, th- I think that uh, you know science is definitely you know. So as far as academics, you know, those guys have to raise money, and and I think that it has to be you know something that benefits the universities and stuff like that. And so. I think there's also kind of a, a financial reason for um, for uh, the research. You know, if if, if uh, you know these uh, professors want to either be published or publish their own books or bring notoriety to the universities uh, that they work for, and so I think that there's uh, there's not enough incentive uh, for people to. Um, to do Bigfoot take, research. Take a chance. And I, uh, right. And I, I think yeah. it's, you know, I think they definitely see it as a gamble, but like, because obviously, you know, that would be one of the biggest news stories and it would be one of the, uh, um, and, you know, they would definitely be able, once they discovered or got closer to Bigfoot, they would definitely be able to monetize it. But I think they see it as basically like scratching in a lottery ticket, you know, as far as whether or not they're actually going to be able to, to, uh, do something. And, um, but I think I think uh, you know there's um, um, there's the world is changing and so w- w- I also don't think that we have to rely on these institutions anymore to to um, to to pursue or get closer to the truth about things you know um, I think uh, um, there's a, a democracy that's happening just through the technology that is going to um, where I think that, you know, maybe even 10 years ago, there's a frustration that uh, academia wasn't interested in this, but I think it will be up to um, uh, regular citizens to uh, give enough momentum to this where academia might be interested in it. And, uh, and uh, I don't, I don't, um, 
I've also never been in that camp where I want, where I need academia to accept a Bigfoot. I, I think, uh, um, you know, it's kind of a binary thing for me, you know, and I think that, you know, uh, regardless if academia accepts Bigfoot, if Bigfoot's out there, I, I, I want to get closer to knowing the truth. And I, I don't think that uh, um, academia or scientists are really uh, ever going to be the ones to help us get there. And uh, I, you know, um, you know, even, you, you have very few people that are as brave as, as Dr. Jeff Meldrum who, and, and Grover Krantz before him that actually put their reputations on the line and their careers, you know, quite frankly, right. uh, on the mm-hmm. line in pursuit of this. And so, um, and so, um, you know, that, that's something that's, that's, that I think uh, is something I've come to terms with. Like those guys are that amazing to be able to pursue this despite what they risked. And so, you know, uh, me, you know, uh, being a, a marketing guy and I tell everybody that I like Bigfoot, it's not, it's, there's nothing risky about that to my career at all. You know? <laughs> <laughs> So, so I think that that's, um, I think that's why I think, I think there's a, there's a, a financial motivation, uh, uh, to it because, uh, these universities, uh, have to, um, make money as well. And they, and they have to be able to monetize their research and, uh, they, uh, and, uh, if they're going to get grants and stuff like that, um, that they have to be, you know, uh, somewhat credible or, or have something that, uh, these people who are willing to give their money to these universities on it. So, I think there's a big financial uh, incentive of why um, or lack of incentive because of the financials that they would want to pursue Bigfoot. So um, as much as I'd like to be altruistic and and think that, you know, oh, they only care about pursuing the truth of science. uh, um, I think there's, you know, politics and other mechanisms that prevent them from pursuing Bigfoot, which is understandable. I mean, nothing that I'd be happy about, but, but it, but I, I think that that is the reality of what it is. Right, and I, I do, I agree with you that uh, Grover Krantz and and Dr. Meldrum um, have put a lot out there. I remember having a conversation with uh, Dr. Meldrum at the Olympic Project uh, a couple years ago now, and 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 um, it, we talked about the challenge of of being a a professor and and um, putting your neck out there. Uh, uh, on a subject like this, I mean, it, it's it, you know, in in academia, it's not much different than I think they equate it on the same. It's on par with UFOs and and unicorns and leprechauns, and that I mean that unfortunately is where um, the, it, the shelf is for for Bigfoot research. Right. So, um, how do you? Yeah, I mean, you- I go ahead. Well, I, I also want to say that you know um, that these uh, these risks that Dr. Jeff Meldrum has made, you know, he, he he's never been he's been very humble about it too. He's never talked about, you know, he's never said, you know, that's one of the things that I've always appreciated about him is like it took, you know, after knowing him for about five years, it was only until I had a conversation with him that I, you know, that it, that it kind of popped in my head that he's also taken risks, and I and I had to ask him, you know, what was that like, and and. Uh, and he kind of laid it down and I was blown away that uh, I'd never really put that into context, you know? So, um, so I've, you know, I mean, I was already pretty impressed with his, you know, with the, with his body of work so far, but when I realized that, uh, that he had also taken these risks, it, it was uh, quite amazing to me. 
so um, how fast, you know, the wilderness, there, there's anybody that, that has flown over or gone out into the, the wilderness in the Pacific Northwest, um, you can see the possibility that there could be um, a, an animal like this that, that maybe is, like you say, is low population, is smarter than, than the, the average bear, uh, evades humans. I mean, there, there's, there is a lot of, of unexplored wilderness out there. And, yeah, I mean, you know, they always talk. One of the references people make is, is all the missing planes that have, have gone down and have never been found. And, and people right. are out actually looking for them and they're stationary. Right. I mean, that's when I, and I think, you know, um, uh, you know, Peter Byrne used, used to use that reference quite a, quite a bit. And I always thought that was a, an excellent thing because these are things where we knew their trajectory. We knew when they left, we knew where they were expecting to go towards. And, you know, these are uh, giant, you know, you know, planes that are, you know, the size of a bus or, you know, much larger and heavier uh, than uh, Bigfoot and their stationary. So I, think, uh, that's, you know, so I mean, a lot of people said, you know, we'll say, well, now that we have satellites and now that we have, you know, a uh, camera and, and, and then we have, you know, uh, these uh, uh, cities and civilization, you know, kind of encroaching on, on these, on, on nature and all this stuff, you know, we should have found Bigfoot by now. And I don't, I don't necessarily, uh, and I, I use, I use that plane example to explain to them that, you know, like I've been in the woods and I've, and, and then 10 minutes later, you know, whoever I'm out in the woods with, I can't even find, you know? And so I have to like yell out their name or do a whoop or whatever. So even, even if I'm out there with, you know, another human, it's very easy to within five minutes, not see them, you know? And mm-hmm. uh, especially here, especially here in the Pacific Northwest. So, so I, I, to me, it's, um, I don't buy into that. I, I don't buy into the fact that, you know, that, that Bigfoot should be found, you know? So. Uh, you mean, just the, because, yeah. When people say, how come they haven't already been found? There's, there's right. a reason. I mean, there's, right. uh, it's not, difficult to explain why that might be the case right and I, I just um, but, I, but, but I think you know compared to how many more people are doing research uh, and the technology that we have as researchers I, I would hope that that we're getting closer you know and, uh, and mm-hmm. I think we are making um, uh, advances every day into techniques and people trying different things out, sharing information. And again, I, I, I think our, um, uh, one of our, our better bets right now is uh, some of the audio analysis that's going on. Right. I mean, if the, anybody goes out into the Olympics and, or out into the Mount Hood wilderness or, or the Jefferson, Jefferson will, I mean, or, or the entire wilderness from, um, the Columbia River to the California border in the coast range. Um, it, it's uh, almost completely solid forest broken up a little bit by a few uh, towns and, and highways and stuff. Um, it, there's plenty of room out there for something to to exist. So, um, my excuse, excuse me, I'm going to cough for a second. <laughs> excuse me. Um, 
What um, you talk about a Jane Goodall approach? Uh, how how would you go about doing something like that? I mean, what what would be? Uh, I mean, how would you go uh, uh, go out and and uh, start that project? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if uh, you know. I would I would like to take you know. Someone who has number one is someone who has a, the discipline to go out there and and I think it would be incredibly important that this person would be able to keep a journal or a log. I don't think mm-hmm. we need a lot of technology out there. I um, you know I think if, uh, you know anything that this person takes out there that they would be able to you know carry pretty much in a backpack. You know so whether it's audio equipment, whether it's you know and, and maybe you know a laptop or, or whatever, and then also, you know, a camera. But I would mostly want someone to be out there. Someone would get, someone would go out there and, and, and resupply them, but they would stay in this spot for, uh, for you know, hopefully, you know, uh, at least for, you know, a whole year or, you know, at least a whole season. And I would like to, you know, do more than one spot. So, I mean, the first part of it is we have, I think we have to pick, the right spot to do it in, you know, and I think, you know, we've, we've got some, you know, probably, you know, some pretty good candidates for some great areas. And then I would like that person to stay out there for, for a while, maybe, you know, very limited amount of people, you know, I wouldn't think I wouldn't want a whole team or a whole group or anything like that. I, I really, when I say Jane Goodall, I mean almost to the T where it was just her out there documenting what would happen and kind of uh, letting uh, you know, her pursuing or, you know, cause I, I think that if you're just going out there for a couple of days, um, you're not getting acclimated or, or, or Bigfoot's not getting acclimated to you. And I think that's, you know, the important thing, you know, I mean, one of the things that, you know, um, you know, even though, uh, you know, like one of the things that Derek Randall's always did is, is wear the same outfit over and over again. So when he goes out to the same places, he would at least, you know, be somewhat familiar, even though he wasn't out there the whole time. I think that's uh, that's one of the things that um, is important is to get Bigfoot, assume that Bigfoot knows you're out there, and then let Bigfoot or the Bigfoots uh, get acclimated to you and uh, and stay out there for a while and have someone just constantly come back out there and, and resupply that person so that person does not have to leave the area. Yeah, I like that, um, and I've always said that uh, Shane Corson would be a good candidate for for that extended uh, field research. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I mean, you know, he, you know, Shane pretty much has it all as far as the discipline and and the the right mindset. He would be fantastic to do it. We just need to, you know, um, uh, give him the equivalent of what his um, annual salary is with his uh, day job, right? Right. <laughs> right. Uh, and th- so, I mean, are, I'm assuming then that you're not of the, uh, we need to take a specimen um, by whatever means necessary to to prove they exist. Yeah, I'm not, I've never kind of been in that camp that we have to prove this, but I've never, right. I've never, um, I mean, I would definitely uh, love to have my own encounter, but even to that degree, I I really get excited about hearing someone else's encounter and, uh, and I like getting closer and closer to uh, the truth about Bigfoot, 
but uh, I, I, um, so I think that kind of shifts a little bit about, you know, um, my involvement in the Bigfoot community or my, my approach to Bigfoot research is um, that piece is not important to me that we prove it to the rest of the world. I think, I think uh, that, um, that there's enough uh, uh, encounters out there and there's uh, uh, enough history out there that, uh, that Bigfoot has a high probability of being out there. I, I don't, it's, um, I don't need Bigfoot to be proven to anybody. So, so, uh, so I think most people who need a specimen or, you know, um, need proof. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't buy into that myself. Um, so Bigfoot, uh, excuse me, I'm losing something. The, the, uh, future of I, I've always said it, it's going to and it's if somebody is interested in proving Bigfoot to the, the uh, general public that it's either going to take a specimen alive or or dead or what you say a Jane Goodall kind of um, uh, research project where somebody is where mo- multiple uh, kinds of, of uh, evidence are, are caught and are captured and processed. I mean, no single video, no single um, um, picture or piece of evidence is going to prove it to the general public. Um, Sorry. And I, I also getting... feel like that'll, that, that'll happen on its own time, too. I think that's kind of a, an inevitable thing. I think eventually there, you know, that will happen, but that's that's not what drives me uh, into my curiosity for Bigfoot. Well, do you think that? I mean, for some people, the the idea of, I mean, what happens when Bigfoot is proven, quote unquote, uh, that that the mystique, I mean, the mystique of the the idea of there being an unclassified um, uh, creature, whatever Bigfoot actually is. Um, that that proving that is actually removes you know kind of uh, deflates the subject and for a lot of people because they just like the idea of there being uh, it's a mystery. Right, and that's one of the things I said when I was interviewed by uh, NPR is is that there's a romanticism to this that drives me as well, and so I just I just think there's uh, something that is kind of. Uh, uh, you know, beautiful and magical, and 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 uh, about pursuing Bigfoot and being curious about Bigfoot, and uh, a lot of that could go away if somebody finds Bigfoot and then the mystery is over. I I do love that there's a component of mystery to this, and that's one of the things that that you know drove me from the very beginning when I saw a Bigfoot book, a fairy book, unicorn book, and, and leprechaun book. Um, is that uh, there's still this mystery and romanticism about pursuing Bigfoot, but he seemed a little bit more tangible than all the other uh, uh, mysterious creatures that are out there. I had a question um, from one of the people in the chat room about, have you heard stories about Bigfoot building fires, using tools, have you, uh, that kind of thing? Yeah, you know, uh, you know, all the way to braiding horsehair. I don't know if you've ever heard those <laughs> stories too. Right. You know, but uh, uh, and that definitely puts Bigfoot in a whole another category. And and I I like that 
that there's almost two camps as far as you know how intelligent is Bigfoot, and uh, you know, and and we know again going to the animal world that building tools and using tools aren't exclusive to humans. So um, you know, there's crows that can use tools, and that, and we knew we know lots of primates uh, use tools a lot more than we we thought they did. You know, when they're trying to uh, collect ants from uh, ant holes and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I've heard a few stories uh, of Bigfoot uh, building fire and stuff like that. But I think that uh, if Bigfoot could build fire, I think that would put Bigfoot in a totally different category. Which is, um, uh, and I, I, you know, I mean, you also hear stories about Bigfoot burying their dead too. And so there's all these um, uh, pieces of Bigfoot that make them. Um, closer to what we would consider, you know, our definition of being more human or, or, or more advanced. And so I've heard, you know, when someone asked me if I've heard these, I've heard just about every story out there. Um, I don't know if Bigfoot mm-hmm. builds fires. I don't, I don't know if he braids horse hairs or, um, or anything like that. Um, I think that's, I think that's a, in some ways, you know, um, getting ahead of yourself because, you know, I just want to know, you know, uh, you know, other things like how, you know, where, where Bigfoot is living and, and, you know, how many are in a troop or in a group? Do they, are they solitary? You know? So when you start getting into some of the other uh, details and minutia about maybe behavior and stuff like that, I feel like, um, you know, there's so many questions that we have to answer before we can get to those. So um, I think they're interesting. And definitely if, uh, if they're part of a witness's story, I think that, you know, it's a contribution to understanding Bigfoot behavior. But for me, I'm, I still get excited about um, the shape of Bigfoot's nose. So I don't. <laughs> so. Right. <laughs> right. So you actually created um, something referred to as the five stages of a Bigfoot hoax. Can you, can you uh, uh, share that with uh, the Mustrex audience? Oh my gosh! I don't know if I remember them. That's what, that was a long that was a long time ago. But I, uh, I, I, I let me let me give it a shot here. So I think you know the first step is you make a big announcement. You tell everybody that you're you've got a big announcement to make, and you're and you're uh, and it's a big secret. And then uh, let's see here. Gosh, I really don't remember my five stages. It is on YouTube. If you go to YouTube and do Guy Edwards' five stages of the hoax, and you can Google it. But uh, uh, but basically, I can go. I can fast forward from that all the way to the fifth stage. And the fifth stage is usually the hoaxers say they were hoaxed themselves. And so that's that. And this was a. Uh, I came up with that because um, this was around the time I think uh, uh, Rick Dyer was coming out with, um, and you know he was he was interviewed on CNN and all this other stuff. And I realized that like, this was a pattern that happened all the way back from from the beginning. And uh, you always, they always had this like big, like I'm going to have a press conference or in one week, I'm going to tell you guys about something that's going to blow your mind. And, uh, and then they usually, uh, you know, uh, they present, they present their case or their evidence. And then people, uh, the third stage is where people kind of critique it. Then they get hyper defensive in the fourth stage. And the fifth stage is when, um, they finally can't defend themselves anymore. And they say, Oh, well, we were hoaxed by somebody else. There we go. I got there. Are you still with me? 
Whoops, I hit the mute button so that uh, I would not cough over you. So, yeah, oh, that, okay. that uh, you did very well in, in uh, recounting your five steps. So, appreciate that. Thank you. Um, thank you. <laughs> uh, what? So the next, the next uh, opportunity for for people to uh, hear you present or uh, um, get a get a piece of guy. Uh, wh- when's that coming up? That is going to be at the Sasquatch Summit in November. I don't know the exact date or time, but I will be at. Okay. It. But uh, it's uh, it's the uh, Ocean Shores Sasquatch Summit. Uh, very excited. I, I hope to uh, be able to fully demonstrate uh, uh, mapping Bigfoot uh, to the public by then, and uh, and show people how we could actually start to you know take the next step in technology where we can actually you know share information with each other. I think it's uh, I'm hoping it's going to be a big deal. Uh, as far as I, I hope everybody's going to uh, see the value in it and. Uh, and help me shape it into something that's going to be real useful for the community. So, um, and then, and there is a hop squat you say in September that you're working on. Do you have a, a date for that at this point? I don't, but you can, I don't, but you can always go to hopsquatch.com okay. with two S's uh, mm-hmm. to get an update on that. Um, we also have a Facebook page for both Bigfoot Lunch Club and Hop Squatch. Where you, where I always announce the next hopscotch. I'm definitely going to have one in October with Tom Powell. Um, and if uh, if you guys have never heard Tom Powell speak, he is one of the best Bigfoot speakers uh, out there. Um, he's engaging, entertaining, and uh, if you're one of these people that are hardcore science people, he will shift your thinking as far as uh, as far as maybe being more open-minded. And, uh, and I really do think that, you know, even though that um, I don't pursue research the same way he does, uh, I think it is very possible that he might be ahead of the curve as far as, uh, as, far as Bigfoot research. You know, um, he's, he's, uh, he's, uh, has an amazing, you know, he's gone, he's gone from complete hardcore scientist to being this kind of a, a, a flagship of, of paranormal researcher so uh october is, is the one i'm really looking forward to and hopefully in september we can get uh, uh una from the um uh, uh seattle ufo uh, network to come in in uh, portland in september tom i've seen tom a couple times in the the in one of his presentations he actually starts out in a lab coat and and uh, takes it off to illustrate his point. I, I, I actually met Tom because I think uh, there's been a lot of people in the Bigfoot community that were at one time either are still part of the BFRO or or uh, are former BFRO members and uh, I actually um, Tom was partially responsible for putting me in touch initially with Todd Neese. Um, that's been umpteen years ago now but uh, uh, so I've known Tom for a long time and, and it, it's interesting to uh, to talk, because you can have a rational conversation about uh, paranormal big, the, the possible aspect of paranormal uh, Bigfoot um, with Tom, and not it. And it again, it's it's uh, you can have a conversation about it, not not, a, and it doesn't have to to uh, turn into uh, 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 
insult fest like it often does on Facebook. So, thank you. Go ahead. Oh, I, I, I just think that you know, one of the greatest things about Tom Powell, real quickly, is that he's not trying to persuade somebody, and it comes across. Mm-hmm. He just wants to share his perspective. And he, and he does, he does so uh, uh, convincingly. I mean, at least uh, leaves you open to the possibility that, hey, you know, I could. And and one of the things I think uh, that maybe is lacking in a lot of uh, Bigfoot research is some humility that, you know, I could be compo- completely wrong. I certainly have not. Uh, I I refer to it as my big footing is better than your big footing. And if that were the case, um, I think that we would not be discussing whether or not Bigfoot exists. So it would be what, you know, uh, it'd be more about the the attributes of Bigfoot because it's been proven already. So, well, Guy, we are just about out of time. I really I want to thank you, my friend, for, for joining me today on uh, – Monster X Radio, and uh, I look forward to possibly uh, a September hopswatch. If not, I will definitely be there in October for for Tom's presentation. That would be great. Well, thank you so much for having me. You and Shane are doing a fantastic job on Monster X. So I, uh, you guys are just doing awesome stuff in research world too. So uh, thank you so much. Thanks, thanks, Guy, for for being here today, and I, I will see you soon, my friend. All right. Take care. Okay. For uh, uh, Shane Corson and myself, Gunnar Monson, uh, we will be uh, presenting at the International Bigfoot Conference in Kennewick, Washington, uh, September 2nd through the 4th. Uh, in addition to Shane and I, Cliff Berkman, uh Bob Gimlin, Derek Randalls, Jeff Meldrum, John Victor Nagel, uh, Todd and Diane Neese, among uh, many other speakers, will be uh, on hand. Also coming up is uh, the Big Sky Bigfoot Conference, October 21st through the 22nd in Hamilton, Montana. If that uh, is something that appeals to you. Uh, some of our future Monster X shows will include Brian Impey, uh, Adam Davies, and uh, Dr. Jeff Meldrum. So put those on your calendar. We will... Uh, they're coming up soon. Next week, uh, Shane will be back with me, and uh, we will be speaking with Mr. Ed Brown, one of the organizers of the inaugural International Bigfoot Conference. So until next Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, this is Gunnar Monson, and I thank you for joining us today. Have a great week.